Welcome everyone to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom. And today's podcast, we welcome Catherine DeGoya, who is a Leader Me coach, consultant, content creator in Leader Me Weekly, is accredited associate certified uh, coach through the International Coaching Federation. She is a passionate person, a humble person, a brilliant person. When I dug in a little bit to her background, it's no surprise that she has an undergraduate degree in art education and women's and gender studies, a master's degrees in art, master degrees in art and education. She's pursuing a doctorate in innovative teaching and learning with a focus on social justice. Um, Catherine, who I will call Cat the entire episode because that's how we lovingly know her. Uh, is just a brilliant, thoughtful person. Um, and so today's episode, we're focusing on uh, this work that she's been doing recently around a culture of belonging, which um, as you'll notice in my first response, uh, right when we dive into the topic, I started reflecting on my time as a teacher thinking, uh, did I really have a, what would, did I create a culture in my classroom that would be one that would be considered uh, one of belonging where every kid felt like they could be known and fully be themselves and so it was really awesome just to dive into that and rethink man i know that uh it didn't make me feel insecure about being a bad teacher it was just really cool from a growth mindset perspective to think what could i or could i what could i have done and could i do better in the future and so if you're someone with a strong growth mindset who just loves to get a mirror in front of your practices this is a great conversation because cat humbly uh just dives into the topic, gives us some real ideas of how do we diagnose gaps, as well as um, some ideas for some potential steps forward and solutions. So it's a really interesting episode. And like I said, Kat is so thoughtful and brilliant. Um, you will definitely enjoy the conversation. So thanks for joining us. If you haven't subscribed already, please subscribe if you have. Thank you so much for your support. We really appreciate it. And we hope that we continue to produce content that helps you manage change in your personal life, your professional life, and allows you to fail forward effectively to keeping the best leader you can possibly be. So thanks for joining us. Uh, enjoy this uh, conversation with Kat and me. Kat, thank you so much for being here today. We appreciate you joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, well, as you well know, uh, our first question is the same. So who are you and what do you love about what you do? Oh, such a great question. Well, um, I am uh, a always a teacher at heart. That's always how I'll introduce myself. Um, mm. I am also a coach and consultant and product architect for Leader in Me. Um, I have been um, in this role for uh, about five years and primarily serving schools in New Jersey and New York City. How did you get to Leader in Me? Mm. Yeah, so I was uh, working uh, on the middle level as a classroom teacher and uh, absolutely loved what I did, loved kids, loved the families, and really was ready for a new challenge and really excited to invest all of my time and energy into thinking about the social and emotional development of young leaders. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, feeling like, hey, that was just kind of squeezed into the schedules, uh, like kind of like an afterthought in some of the schools I worked in. And just really feeling like, oh, what the power of when you can invest a lot more time and energy in that space was important for me as a professional. So your belief was, uh, if we spend a lot more time in the social emotional learning space, we'll get better results for kids and we'll develop our kids much more effectively, right? For sure. And that's what all the research says. So, yeah. 
That's awesome. Well, as you know, that one of the reasons or the main reason I wanted to, to talk to you today is that you've been doing a lot of work on um, this kind of culture of belonging. Like you've been doing a lot of research and work and development. Can you tell me uh, what does it mean to have a culture of belonging and why is it so important? Yeah. And there's so many big concept words associated with this work. Um, so if it's okay, I'd, before I answer just even about belonging, there's a few other topics that kind of lead us to the space of belonging. Yeah. So the first word is about diversity, right? And diversity is the presence of differences in a given environment, right? So really, truly valuing those differences. The second step, because diversity is, is not quite enough, right? The second step is about inclusion. When we think about how do we um, act in ways that make all of the members of our community feel included. And belonging is really the emotional outcome of those steps that come before it. Why is this important? Why, why have you spent so much of your time and effort diving into what a culture of belonging is and then helping work to create, uh, helping schools create those cultures? Yeah. And belonging is is really this sense of acceptance and support and inclusion in a particular community. And when students and staff and families feel like they can bring their authentic selves, right, 100% who they are to that community, that truly turbocharges their contributions and their results. So, you know, it, it's about helping individuals feel like an important part of the community to reach whatever goals we have. And in this case, when we're thinking about students, we're thinking about improved academic outcomes for all students. We're thinking about helping them meet their goals or the academic goals we have set out for them. So when I, I'm just going back to when I was a teacher, I, I, I would hope that almost everyone, I would like to say everyone, but I'm sure there's some that may not have felt that way, uh, felt love supported and safe um when i hear the word belonging i feel like that's a it's a really cool word because it, it gives me a new paradigm to think does every kid who walks through my doors feel like they belong here and how how would you if i'm a teacher what what are some questions going to be asking myself to to help me create a stronger culture in my in my classroom yeah, I think that's so fascinating, Dustin, because what you just shared is sort of the result that I see when I'm coaching or talking to teachers about this topic. Nope. I, I tend to ask, hey, how many of your students do you feel like belong? And I think what happens for teachers is similar to what you just walked through. Well, I, I try my absolute hardest to make them feel loved and that they can trust me. And so they're going to say most of the time teachers will say, yeah, I think my students feel like they belong. But what we actually are learning is that there can be a bit of a disconnect, that positive relationships and, you know, those, you know, those sort of passing greeting conversations or knowing what a student loves to eat for lunch, all important things, but it doesn't always equate to a sense of belonging. So one of the best ways to do this is to ask and to try to measure, and that can happen in so many ways, but set out to measure how does our school community feel about this topic. And when I say ask everyone, I mean everyone. 
our youngest of students, our oldest of students, our families, all of our staff members, what to what degree do they feel like they belong to the school community? And there's some great measurement tools out there, um, but it's it's asking and checking in with them and finding those gaps or those blind spots that we don't always know about. And it can also be helpful to disaggregate the data a bit, right? So maybe we feel like, okay, our students feel a sense of belonging, but we start to learn maybe our younger students don't feel exactly that same sense of belonging. Or maybe there's families and caregivers. For example, um, this happened in one of the schools that I worked with. Most of their families felt a sense of belonging, but the parents and caregivers who worked at night, for example, didn't have the opportunity to attend the, the same amount of events or the same opportunities that other parents did. So all of that to say, those are just two examples, but all of that to say that when we measure and ask, we have a chance to check in if our assumptions are actually the reality for our stakeholders. Well, I think, again, not to, uh, just it's easier to ask questions based on like my own paradigms and real life experiences. And so what I'm thinking about my class, it's like, again, I feel like we had a team culture but that word belonging, I feel like is so powerful and intentional and I really do love it. I'm trying to figure out how would I ask, I taught trigonometry, so this may not be the best example, but I'm like trigonometry, there's not, uh, I assume most of my kids weren't just super pumped about coming to dive into my subject. And so is how do we create a, a strong culture, but that culture of belonging, like what questions am I asking of myself and of my students to figure out if they, if they do feel like they belong? Mm hmm. Yeah. I mean, things like, do you feel like you can bring your whole self here? Like, mm. what what is what is your whole self? Do you share all of the, you know, the parts of yourself? And, and that's not to assume everyone, everyone wants to share all parts of themselves. But do you feel like you can be authentic here? Do you feel a sense of psychological safety that mm. if you shared these important aspects of yourself, people, you would still feel included and that you belonged here? So, Kat, that that helps me, like I said, I, I take that feedback really quickly and figure out how, tomorrow how I would take that to my kids. So if I'm a principal or even up to a district leader and I'm thinking about put my principal hat on, uh, say you got 20 classrooms and I'm trying to figure out quickly how many, what percentage of those schools, you know, or what percentage of my classrooms are, have a strong culture of belonging. Like what are, what are the tools that are out there or what are some ways that, you know, if I don't have time to go get the right tools, what can I be doing now to really gauge that? Yeah, yeah. So there's a couple of things that come to mind there. Well, first of all, there's a lot of great programs and assessment tools out there that you can leverage. Even a, a Google search would 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 yield some really great questions you can ask of your of your students, your staff, and your families. Um, another example is we, you know, I'm a leader and me coach. We use a tool called the measurable results assessment, where we're asking some of these perception questions to help school communities really understand the perception of their stakeholders. Um, so that might be kind of like a more formal path, like a survey. Another path is, could you just get together with your grade level team? Write out, and I'm using grade level, but it could be your classroom. It could be at, at a bigger scale of your school. Write out all of your students' names, every single student, and go through and ask yourself, does this student have a, a, a strong relationship with one of us? How do we know? Like, what are those indicators that tell us that? And what you'll likely find is there could be some students that 
maybe are kind of slipping through the cracks, some students who don't yet have that strong connection to the community? So we go through these questions, right? And we identify, man, there's a certain percentage of our students that don't feel like they have a strong connection or even, you know, some teachers may have a strong self-reflection and say, my class is really struggling with this belonging. What are the steps I need to start taking in order to start building that culture at the classroom and the school level? Yeah, yeah. So one of the biggest places to start is recognizing the difference between a positive relationship and an authentic relationship. And that's in and of itself, just a bit of a paradigm shift and positive relationships are great. I in no way want to put down those positive relationships, but in some ways they can be a bit surface level, Mm -hmm. right? So that understanding of, okay, an authentic relationship means that I know this student really well. Um, everything from their interests to their unique cultural backgrounds to um, knowing how that student likes to be greeted, knowing how that student likes to be celebrated, right? More more authentic and deeper ways of knowing a person. And then, so that in and of itself is a bit of a shift in practice. Um, It can be tricky though, because if you're, let's say you're an elementary level classroom teacher and you have 25 students, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, I'm going to design some one-on-one time every few, you know, every few days or every few weeks with each child. If you're a secondary teacher and you have hundreds of students, you might be thinking, well, how am I supposed to do that? So it's about finding the systems and the ways that work for you. It can be like an authentic questionnaire. So not just asking again, what's your favorite color, but like, what do you really want me to know about who you are? What holidays and traditions are important to you? You know, and, and, finding different systems that work according to the amount of time you, you can actually realistically give to this. Um, and time is, is really the other big tip. It's about finding dedicated time to do this and not thinking about this as an afterthought. And sometimes that just comes down to our circle of influence. Like we can't always impact how much time we have. So finding ways within, you know, that you can Um, But also maybe even advocating at a school or district level for the importance of things like morning meetings and advisory and those times that you really have the chance to get to know students well. That's great. I know in our organization, we have a strong belief on inside out uh, kind of modeling the, the work, right? And so when I think about, you know, if I'm a school leader trying to model this, what does that look like for me to do that with my teachers, right? So forget their classrooms, just me. I recognize I jump all the way down to the kids and I recognize as a school leader, I've got to just think about my teachers as my students. And so what does that look like? What are some best practices there? Like, I think you've said it and I don't mean to keep on being on repeat, but my thought is if I'm listening to this conversation, I just want to have some ideas of like, all right, wherever I'm at in my organization, I know I can take these steps to start diagnosing my gaps. Yeah. And it's, it's really, it's about relationships. I know. I I think I've said that word a hundred (laughs) times. So my apologies. Most Um, people do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's about modeling those kinds of relationships. And, you know, I think what, what happens, uh, you know, again, never making assumptions about people, but when we, we tend to, as a profession, get really busy. 
we tend to find ourselves in this, like, of course, especially during the pandemic in these sort of emergency states of mind. And we're, we're thinking about, okay, you know, learning recovery or learning loss, all of these things that feel like a priority, we tend to skip the relationship piece and just kind of get right down to business. But it's about modeling the relationships with teachers, you know, at the start of a faculty meeting, um, the start of a district meeting, right? Like building those relationships and modeling what we expect from teacher to, to student as well. I remember it was probably 11 years ago when I walked into my first leader me school and I've described to people every year since it's almost every leader me school I can walk in and it's a place that, that most easily describe it, not looking at data, just saying, I would love to send my kid here and I would love to teach here. Um, when you think about creating real cultures of belonging, what's that sense, mm-hmm. right? Not like, I'm sure we can, again, we're, we're all data oriented and what we're going after, but what's the for lack of a better term, what's the vibe that like when we know we are living in a place of real belonging uh, and everyone feels like they belong, what's that, what's that feel like to you? Or what have, have you seen that place? What has described that place to us? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So many amazing leader in me schools that I get to work with. I, as I give these examples, just all of their names and faces are popping into my mind, but for sure, we're going to see a space where there's visual inclusion of people's identities and cultures. We're going to see, and and it's so different in every community. So I'm hesitant to say exactly what that looks like, but you'd see it, you know, you'd, you'd hear, you'd hear people feeling comfortable sharing their voice, even when it's in disagreement with each other, you'd see respectful disagreement and people slowing down to work with each other and include each other in conversations. Um, Those are just a couple of examples. And you just feel a sense of of care and partnership and understanding. Yeah, I I think, um, again, I I didn't expect when we talked, I I know the subject, I've obviously been around a lot of conversations about this culture of belonging work that we're doing. Um, but I didn't think that right when we would talk, just thinking about my students and my classrooms, like selfishly and the power of one word belonging would make me rethink everything. Like, man, I like got awards for being teacher of the year. We had great results, but I would love to be able to confidently say that every kid who walked through my doors, regardless of their passion for my subject or not, or their success in my class or not knew they could be their full authentic selves when they walk through that door. Um, like that, that gives me goosebumps thinking about that kind of power and education community. It's a new level, right? Yeah. What, where did, I mean, you were ahead of this than me, like where, where did the spark come from for you to go down this path? Yeah. For me, I, oh my goodness, just, uh, absolutely loved being a teacher. And one of the things, one of my early experiences as an undergraduate student, Um, I was invited to participate in a club and I wound up um, having a double major in education and women's and gender studies. And for me, that was uh, just a really pivotal moment in my life where I started looking and listening and learning about things from a totally different perspective, from more of an equity lens. Um, so I brought that experience into my, my 
you know, my classroom and my role as a teacher. Um, and I have to also admit that I've, I've learned so much from coaching my schools in New Jersey and New York City. Um, this is, always has been a very important topic to those schools and just listening and learning from their stories and mm-hmm. sort of taking all, all of this and thinking, wow, this is leader in me is a path to helping people feel a sense of belonging, right? There are so many great strategies in our toolkit. Um, so really that is what, ha- what has led me here into the space of feeling really passionate about it, but also feeling confident that we know some strategies that work to help school communities get there. Yeah, I would say from a distance, just watching your you know, career with us, um, you know, the, the feedback that I've seen and also I've experienced from you or your, your folks that work closely with you, uh, your sincerity of being able to get in an environment and listen well, so really practice habit five and then serve people well. And then somehow you figured out a way to take that to be able to distill the information that you're receiving to do the research of, you know, the topic itself to go even deeper and then to be able to come up with new ideas for how to do that better. Like I, what drives you in that? Have you always been that type of person that can practice habit five phenomenally well, research and distill into the important things to get better actions? Or is that something that you've kind of evolved into over time? Oh, I, um, thank you. I, (laughs) I feel like it's something I'm always working on. And I feel like our, I don't know if this is going to answer your question, but I feel like our habits of the public victory of thinking about what's a win for other people and being able to listen well to other people's stories and avoiding, you know, the danger of a single story too, right? Like really getting perspectives and then valuing differences is the only way (laughs) to maybe that's bold, uh, is, is an, our important leadership skills to advance us forward in this space. Yeah. Well, I think one thing you said that I I appreciate that distinction is we know that stories are really powerful. Um, but stories like, again, one story versus many stories is like most powerful. Like, is there are trends or they're not, but one story can lead you down one path, which may not be the right thing for the majority. Right. And so, um, I think that was a really important distinction where I was trying to get to is that, I mean, anybody who's got a chance to have the opportunity to work with you, you're an incredibly impressive, thoughtful person. And a question that we've asked every guest, uh, this season has been, you know, what are some habits and disciplines you implement on a daily or weekly basis that make you your best version of yourself? So I was kind of asking that in like a high level, but now like that we're here, I just want to ask specifically, like you're, you're an incredibly impressive person and, uh, your humility is like, what's the most powerful part about that? Um, I'm just curious, what, what are those disciplines that you have that let you be the best version of yourself you can be on a daily basis? Hmm. Um, wow. Thank you uh, for that huge deposit in my emotional bank account. I think it's going to, for me, really go back to habit five again. Um, really just seeking to understand others. Um, yeah. And often that, that comes in the form of asking for feedback and leading to a space of where it's inviting synergy. And I think as I step more and more into the space of product development, um, 
it synergy is just going to make everything so much better. I love that you answered habit five and your role in this podcast is answering questions not asking questions. I'm sure that makes it incredibly <laughs> uncomfortable. You're like, I'd actually prefer to be asking you yeah. questions, not uh, doing the other way. So I appreciate sure. you checking that. <laughs> so uh, I obviously I, I know you can, if anybody can see you behind you, you've got books mm -hmm. on books on books. Mm -hmm. um, so it, I would assume you're a reader, correct? I am. So when you think about some of the most influential books, either in your career that are really important to you, or just recently that you can't get out of your head. I'm just curious, what, what are you reading these days that you feel like other people really need to look out and check out? Yeah. Ooh. Um, so I am also pursuing my doctorate right now. So I'm doing a lot of reading <laughs> for school, which is enjoyable for sure. And I'm learning a lot from that. Um, but I think the book that I read most recently that has made a huge impact um, Brad Montague, um, wrote a book called becoming better grownups. Yeah. It's right behind me, right over there. Too. <laughs> I'm like, um, it's right above me. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. And I, how this sort of evolved is I, I bought, um, the kid president book, the, the guide to being awesome for my, for my nephew and noticed that Brad had this, I say Brad, like he's my friend. Um, Brad had this book too. Um, and what I, what really stuck with me about it is just the importance of fun in life. And I have two little mm -hmm. ones at home and just remembering how much we kids and adults learn from play and fun. And I just think that's so important to, to always keep top of mind in education. Well, interestingly enough, our first question that we kick off every episode with is, who are you and what do you love about what you do? We got from Brad in that book and a story he wrote in there about his uh, dinner with Chief Justice Sotomayor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm a big okay. fan of Brad. And I would say for anybody who's looking at that, that is such an easy, fun read. And there's so much wisdom in it. It's not even funny. So that was it's really so awesome that you sent that. And Brad is the type of person that would assume you're friends anyway. So you can okay, ask good. friends if you don't. Um, all right. So uh, you're, you have two kids at home. You work your tail off. You're getting a PhD. You're working on your doctorate. Like, uh, I don't know when you will have time for this question or right, when you do this, but when you're either working out, walking, driving, trans, you know, you're in transit what's on your playlist? What music, if any, are on your playlist? We have a mutual friend named Meg Thompson who answered this question saying she listens to Sports Talk Radio. Uh, so you can answer it however you want, but I'm just curious uh, what's on your playlist if you have one. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of acoustic, uh, acoustic folk music. Like, wow. I don't know if you know Matt Carney, Matt Nathanson, Ben Rector. Like those are like, I really look for music that like speaks to my soul and, you know, to your point, I'm pretty busy. So, um, music that sort of slows me down and calms me down a little bit. I have seen Matt Nathanson several times in small shows, big shows, uh, since like my college days. So he's been around, like I followed him forever. Then Ben Rector, I have a buddy who's good friends with them. Uh, his song, old friends is one of my wife and I's favorite. Like we just like rock out to it. That's um, awesome. so those are names I did not expect to hear today, but that yeah. was great. Uh, that warmed my heart. So, all right, last question. Uh, we'll give you your day back. The, you know, all, all the folks that we bring on, uh, are surrounded either with social media quotes that they see or videos they see, or people that inspire you. 
And so you're constantly surrounded by really interesting, good advice on how to create change in your life or be a better leader. I'm just curious, is there any advice that's been on your heart lately that uh, you think people need to hear and know about? There's sort of a personal response to this and a professional response to this. Yeah. Um, can I share both? Absolutely. Okay. I'll start with the, the, the professional thing that's been on my mind lately and partly like some things that I've been researching and working on is about learning how to respond to students that could be experiencing disruptive or challenging behaviors in the classroom. And one of the things that has just been on my mind is that there is always enough, you know, power and enough credit and love to go around. Um, and just how thinking with abundance can really solve so many of those, what seemingly feels like classroom challenges. Um, so that's really, that advice of there's always enough power to go around has been on my mind. Hmm. Um, the second piece, uh, just from a personal perspective is always, I mean, again, there's, there's a theme here. Cat's pretty busy. <laughs> Um, which I mean, so many of us are right. So many uh, professionals and educators and, um, but what's really the personal advice that's been on my mind is sometimes when you say no, it's because there's a bigger yes. Hmm. So going back to habit three and that, that courage to say no to things because there are other priorities that are more important to you. That's so hard though, right? When you think about mm -hmm. folks who have been successful or just high achievers, you just want to say yes to keep trying it. And that no, I feel like the more higher achieving of a person you strive to be, that power of no becomes even more important, but it's so, so hard. Don't you think? So hard, you know, and so hard because you don't want to let people down. You want to serve yep. others well, but then it's also the mindset of how well can I do this? And would I let you down in the end? Mm. Anyway, so any tricks on how we can better say no, or is it just like, that's the advice I'm giving myself right now. And I'm working on it myself. <laughs> Find an accountability partner. I am yeah. open to being yours if you need one. And I could use one too. <laughs> no, my wife and I talk about that a lot. I mean, she's the chief of staff of her school district. And uh, so it's just a little nutty and I've been traveling for about four straight weeks. And so we've got three little ones at home. So when you say that, I'm like, where do I say no? I don't know where that, that comes in, but it, it, it's so important for us to be both the professionals we want to be, but most importantly, uh, to be the parents, partners, friends that we want to be. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, well, Kat, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And like I said, I, I think um, anybody who's got a chance to serve alongside you or with you in a school, um, the feedback is always the same. That habit five that you've highlighted is something that um, oozes out of you. So I think anybody listening is like, yeah, yeah, she keeps saying habit five. That's great. Um, but you are someone who definitely really listens both with your head and heart, not just your ears. And so it's refreshing to be around you. And it's no accident that when you're part of things like in this case, helping figure out solutions for schools to better create a culture of belonging, they are really impactful because it's not you sitting in a lab, just thinking about how to uh, do something different. It is you getting in the weeds and listening and hearing and feeling so that we can figure out solutions together. And so I just appreciate who you are, how you carry yourself and the work that you continue to put out to change the world for us. 
Thank you so much. Thanks for having me and, and yeah. making this an important topic in your podcast. Absolutely. Well, Kat, we'll have you back on, I'm sure, at some point soon. So thanks for making time for us. Thank you. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, podcast on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential. Mm -hmm.